We had teachers and students on six different continents. Then literally on a Thursday afternoon, we get an email saying that the Friday students would be staying at home, teachers would meet with admin uh, to plan for the following week, which would go into distance learning. Our school realized right away that a normal school schedule was not going to work. I think we have to be reasonable and practical. I think we do have to be flexible and adaptable. How do we have students achieve at high levels during this uh, unique challenge or this crisis that's happening around the world? To not feel as though we have to reinvent everything. I've adopted the mantra, less is more. We too have to take care of our own mental health while balancing well, balancing what we need to, how we need to continue this. Hi, this is Corey Austin. And this is Jose Alvarez. Welcome to Beyond Our Bell. The COVID-19 or coronavirus has really flipped our world on its kilter. For educators, students, and parents, school looks a lot different than it did a few weeks ago. Over the next few episodes, the Beyond Our Bell podcast will document and capture different perspectives as we navigate distance or e-learning. Up first, we'll have a conversation with two international educators, one from the American School Foundation of Monterey here in Mexico, and one from the American International School of Beijing in China. These two teachers are here in Monterey right now, yet they have very different situations to face when they decided to go online. Join us today and let's experience a little bit of their journey. Hi, welcome to uh, Beyond Our Bell podcast. Um, can you please introduce yourself? All right, my name is Guy Gagne. Um, I'm a high school English teacher at the American School Foundation of Monterrey, here in Monterrey, Mexico. And my name is Marco Trujillo. I am an eighth grade teacher at the International School of Beijing. Well, thank you for being with us at this moment. Um, to us, it's a great uh, opportunity to have two different voices since we're, both of our schools have been already into distance learning or e-learning for quite a while. Uh, we're in week two. And Marco, you are in what week now? We have just started week eight. Um, well, I was going to just kind of leads into our, our kind of first question for both of you guys is um, just give us an idea of your actual timeline and if you could just how long you've been doing distance learning and where are you at in this whole experience? Yeah, sure. ISB has been doing uh, distance learning uh, since the end of the Chinese New Year. So uh, when we began fully online, it was end of January and the first week of February, like that week is when we began. Well, ours seemed to have happened pretty quickly. Um, we had been preparing for it for maybe, um, well, for a couple of weeks until uh, a decision was made to go to this distance learning platform a little more than two weeks ago. Well, actually, probably about two weeks ago. And so things happened pretty quickly for us, uh, which meant that there was a lot to do and very little time. Uh, but I think we also had a lot of support 
and uh, the experience uh, from other schools around the world uh, to share with us. Yeah. One of the big contrasts I see between how both of our schools started this journey is uh, you guys were in school, like having regular school class time when you guys decided to switch. And all of our teachers were on vacation. When in the middle of our vacation, we were told that this is what's going to happen. So we were all already very far away from each other. So we had to go online immediately, which was which was a unique challenge all in itself. I mean, while I mean, while we had um, we probably about had a week or two uh, to prepare, but then literally on a Thursday afternoon, we get an email saying that Friday students would be staying at home, teachers would meet with admin. Uh, to plan for the following week, which would go into distance learning. So, yeah, we, we, I think we had the advantage of already being in class and being able to prep, even though things moved pretty quickly. I can't imagine that way, Marco, because we had what we call an innovators teachers meeting where we, we kind of talked about, okay, this is going to happen within a week or within a week and a half is going to happen. We're going to have to go to e-learning and like, what is this scenario going to look like? And you guys didn't even have that. You, you were just already spread apart, talked about like just jumping in. Yeah. And I think that the way we started almost kind of guided the mindset that we have with distance learning because we had teachers and students on six different continents. Uh, so when we started our distance learning, we really had to think globally on it and how it could work on such a large scale. No, Very few people were in the same time zone, so it was difficult already. I want to, Marco, I just want to follow up on something you said, just to, so listeners have a better idea. Just You said that you guys were on like, Chinese New Year vacation? What, what is that, like a two-week time period? Or? Chinese New Year is a lunar holiday that is usually about, I don't know, a week long, sometimes longer, depending on where you work. This year, ours was one week for our school, one full week. Okay, and so, so you guys are on vacation, and then boom, next thing you know, it's school's closed, right? Yeah, um, so my wife and I were on a beach in Cambodia, and, uh, you know, vacation time is not work time, so um, we saw an email come through that was urgent, and it was first letting us know that School was not going to open regularly when we came back. Uh, everyone was going to take a week originally just to kind of check their health when they came back from traveling, see if they're feeling all right. And then the very next day, that one week turned to two weeks. Um, the following day, the two weeks turned into school is closed indefinitely because of uh, government mandates. And um, on the fourth day, uh, we were wondering whether or not even to go back to Beijing and where are we going to uh, kind of uh, live for the, for the foreseeable future. So in the course of four days, everything changed. And uh, with the changing of our timeline and what is mandated by the government, we also had to think about, okay, how are we actually going to facilitate learning? 
during this time. Was there like a lot of pressure into the decision? Do you feel that um, that everybody was together as uh, as a school in terms of like okay we 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 need a leader or we need orders and then we all just follow or was a little bit of like oh my god we're all gonna do our different thing? I mean when this hit here at our school, I felt that we were all kind of in the same page. Yeah, Again, we had a little bit of more preparation and you were here in Monterrey at that time and we knew it was coming, but um, how do you feel that your school reacted to it and what was, I guess, the, the, the best thing that you took for it or what really worked? I thought ISB's response to it was, was exceptional. They did a really good job of being very transparent on uh, the decisions that they were making uh, Our administrators and our head of school and everyone in our HR was really working overtime to, to find um, answers to questions that a very big staff uh, was asking. Uh, so I had full faith in whatever decision that they made. And we must have had a dozen surveys go out in those first that first week just so they could get feedback from their teachers um, in order to guide all of the, the, the decisions that were made for the entire school. What about you, Guy? How does you feel, how do you feel was the experience in ASFM? Well, I, I think they, um, I think our, our administration did probably the best they could being a private school in Mexico. We sometimes are an exception to what the Mexican government and the ministry of education uh, dictate because we can continue distance learning. We're in a position to do so. Uh, but, uh, I think several people were really stressed about not only, or not really just the, the distance learning part, but also just because we have so many American Canadian foreign teachers wondering what's going on with the borders. There, there are all these other personal issues that came into play and wondering if we can get back to the States or back to Canada, um, how long is this going to last? What's the government going to do? We, we don't necessarily have a lot of transparency when it comes to the news media. Um, and so it's, I think our school did the best it could, it could um, in order to make decisions that were very uh, proactive. Yeah, if I could just jump in there, I think, and, and Marco too, you saying your school did a great job. I think kind of it, it helped our school a ton um, seeing kind of, all of some of the top schools in Asia go through this like six weeks prior because, and, and all those schools did a great job of documenting that process and sharing those resources for schools like us who were going through it, you know, six weeks later. So that was super helpful for us. Work kind of done ahead of us by, by some of those top schools in Asia. And that, that was, that was really amazing how, how schools kind of came together. And if we could just transition into where we're at right now, what are your general thoughts as, as kind of educators and teachers who have taken their classes um, distance learning? Well, I think that um, this is the second full week for us. Uh, I think the first week um, was all about adjusting for teachers, for students as well, because across a single grade level, you can have teachers who are comfortable with Unified Classroom or some are using Google classroom there are technical issues that are beyond um, our powers uh, some are using uh, loom or zoom or screencastify or google hangout meet or so there, there are a lot of technical or, or tech tools uh, that i think 
we needed to get used to very quickly. And we have a lot of students who do very well when given this type of environment where you still have a schedule to follow, but it's not as intense as a regular school day. Whereas others who don't have uh, the same learning support that they do physically at school, I think are having a tough time. Uh, And so we're trying to reach out to them as much as possible. After two full weeks, I see students who are probably ahead of the rest of the kids. And I see other students who are already starting to lag behind. Well, um, our very first week, so when Chinese New Year was over, we never uh, said, okay, Monday, Tuesday, we're just going to kind of relax and see what happens. But the very first week back, we started uh, online learning. So our first week was all about finding out where people were at, uh, what technology do you have access to? And we really just kind of assessed the situation um, on a uh, school grade level classroom basis. And then we reported that back to our administrators so that they could better um, make decisions going down the road. So one my first week um, uh, was transitioning from Cambodia uh, to Beijing for a very, very quick stopover because my wife and I decided to get out of the country while we could. Uh, and we went to Seoul, South Korea. So I was in South Korea and of my students, I would say 75% of them were outside of uh, China. So we, and many of them didn't have their computers. Uh, they didn't have any of the technology necessary to do online learning because they were all on vacation. So when week two came around, uh, the families were making decisions about where they were going and we as a class decided to, well, we're going to keep going and see uh, what is a timeline for finishing the current unit we're on, meeting with teams to see what kind of adjustments we need to make to our curriculum. That was happening in week two. And by week three, we already started seeing students um, opt out of our learning platform. Students were leaving countries, returning back to their home countries, deciding to enroll in uh, classrooms back in their home of origin. So class sizes were going down. A lot of families were in transition. Uh, so it was getting done wasn't that substantial. And by the time we were about a month in, uh, that's finally when we started to see stability in the classroom. And by that time, I had already relocated to Mexico and most families had decided where they were going to wait things out, whether that was in Japan or Korea or Australia or India. After about a month in, that's when we decided we, we really had a clear picture of where we were at. And then that's kind of when our school decided to make its second or third iteration uh, about uh, what learning is going to look like going forward. And now being eight weeks in, it feels um, pretty natural. Uh, we have a very good flow uh, in my classroom, at least. And I feel like as a school, people, um, students and uh, teachers feel like uh, is nothing that's that out of, I don't know how to say it. You could say that like now after eight weeks, it's, it's like business as usual, the world we live in now. 
I'm just going to jump in and ask a question because I think you bring up an interesting point just because you and Guy, uh, we're in such different points. I mean, you're eight weeks in, we're just getting through week two and you're talking about like different iterations of the process. What did change exactly? Oh, there's been uh, probably about a couple dozen things that have changed and been tweaked, but a few major ones that changed right off the start were um, figuring out schedules. Uh, our school realized right away that a normal school schedule was not going to work uh, just because of how displaced people were around the globe. So uh, we decided to keep all of our meeting times based on Beijing time. And there was a morning shift and an afternoon shift in order to get people involved that were on different sides of the planet. So teachers uh, assessed where students were and based on where the majority of your students were, that's when you decided to either have your classes in the morning or in the evening. And those, uh, if we had a three hour window for shift one in the morning or shift two in the afternoon, we still followed block scheduling type of, uh, and that even had to be completely shortened because we were realizing that it was just too much time in front of the computer. By the time you got students involved in a task or teachers were spending their time on Zoom with face-to-face things, most teachers were only on Zoom for about 50% of their time and the rest of the time they were either having one-on-one conversations with kids or waiting for kids to log on or answering emails or talking to other colleagues. The scheduling thing and how it was shrunk to fit our uh, our needs was what the biggest change that we noticed. Uh, another big change is um, how do we have a ch- a students achieve at high levels during this uh, unique challenge or this crisis that's happening around the world. So we had to look at okay, what what is your how is your class set up um, for students to be independent learners. Uh, how do you deliver things and how do you receive things from your kids? Uh, my classroom was pretty lucky that it was already set up in that way. We use Microsoft OneNote and every student has a notebook. Uh, and that's where I push out information. I also push out information on our school LMS. We use Teamy. That's where I receive documents. Um, we had to tweak uh, do what are the expectations for attendance and when you turn in documents. We gave kids a 72-hour buffer uh, in order to get documents turned in. Uh, Just can't expect things to to be finished on the exact day. Uh, We started to monitor interaction in the class. We even tweaked how do we respond back to parents. Is that the teacher's responsibility? Um, At first it was. Now it's been transitioned to the office's responsibility and to contact all parents about teacher participation. We had to look at um, how do we conduct our mentoring programs, our advisory programs. We looked at uh, how, do we, how do we focus on professional growth? How do we make sure our social-emotional learning is still something that we truly care about and something that we're um, recognizing in the classroom? Different changes um, about child protection policies and how we maintain professional in a, in a digital environment, uh, things like that were all stuff that within those first four weeks 
we're changing constantly. I think for, for us um, at ASFM, what was communicated was to be very prepared and we had time to prepare ourselves, but to not feel as though we have to reinvent everything. Uh, we have some established tools and practices, um, and the idea was just to adapt those and to maintain some sense of normalcy and balance and, let's say, perhaps a stability for our students and for our teachers. And so if you were using Unified Classroom before, which is our school's learning management system, then we just continue with that. Um, but most of our kids, all of our kids, uh, or just teachers rather, communicate and work with students through Google tools. So we continue with that. I, I, the idea was let's not try to add all of these additional tools that just will further complicate things. So it was a matter of streamlining how we communicated and how we collected information and how we communicated content. Scheduling for us, um, the different divisions at school have sort of have established different schedules. So elementary school follows a different schedule than middle school, and it's different from high school. So for me as a high school teacher, I actually don't feel overloaded by the schedule because I have a protected time block with every class period once a week. Plus, um, we have set office hours and students can book us for individual appointments. So I find that that has actually worked out pretty well. And similar to what Marco was sharing with uh, how his class is set up, half of my classes, um, students are on personalized learning paths anyway for the past month. So this distance learning adjustment isn't actually a huge adjustment for half my students because we've been working or they've been working very independently anyway. We just have to change the platform so we're not meeting face-to-face, -face, but we are finding other ways to meet. And now I know that for, for us, spring break starts April 6th, so we still have a little bit of time before uh, we break for two weeks. And I think that will give everyone, including administration, the opportunity to see and assess uh, how things have worked and what changes need to be made in case we continue this way. I want to jump in and just talk about a little bit of, after hearing you both, I think that when you're in front of a scenario like this and you have so many different variables, uh, flexibility really becomes a powerful tool, if not a mantra, to have upon these circumstances. And just think about just from the standpoint of problem solving and like how much real does it get than this? Um, this is a unique opportunity just to go beyond. And I wanted to say, because you both sound kind of comfortable with how you are doing it with your classes, do you have any tips or any uh, like recommendations that you want to share about like what is working for you and how it could be beneficiary for others? I think as educators, um, we, we have to be well prepared. Um, we have to have a very clear idea of um, what standards we're going to prioritize over the next little while um, and how those are distributed over the next few weeks. Uh, we can't do everything exactly the way that we would in a face-to-face -face, um, brick-and-mortar kind of situation. But I think we have to be reasonable and practical. I think we do have to be flexible and adaptable. I, th I think communication is key, both with our peers, other staff, 
members, other teachers who are uh, in our team. So we're not bombarding the same students, that things are balanced. And I think it's help, it, it's good for us as well as educators to remember that we also are living through this situation and we too need to set boundaries so that we're not glued to the screen and slave to every message that comes through. I think it's it's um, we too have to take care of our own mental health while balancing while balancing what we need to how we need to continue this. Um, I see students developing skills that are very important that they don't necessarily need to rely on so much when there's face to face. They have to read instructions more carefully. They have to problem solve on their own a little more. So I I think this is a good experience in some ways and just maintaining some kind of positive attitude. Yeah, isn't it crazy how we expect um, our students to have all of those soft skills that we that we teach and preach about every single day? You know, communication, problem solving, flexibility, collaboration. We as teachers need to sometimes sharpen those skills ourselves and nothing like a pandemic to get those uh, sharpening tools out, right? Uh, but the biggest thing uh, that's working for me, I mean – yeah, I agree with Guy a lot on you need to be prepared and you need to be flexible. Uh, but another thing is you need to see what is manageable. Uh, I, I've adopted the mantra, less is more, all right? Uh, I've been breaking up normal, like what, what students can normally get done in a 75-minute block. I start by cutting that in half. And I then for a while, I tested with my own students all right, what can they get done? Can they get done with half? Sometimes they can because students are dealing with a lot right now. Just like we're dealing with a lot, students are in the same boat as we are. So we need to respect that and just give them bite-sized pieces of, of, a, of a daily classroom routine. Or not a routine, but a, a workload. So giving them a little bit less or a lot less in certain cases has been extremely successful for me. And I think across the school, that would be echoed. Uh, just in figuring out, like he said, what standards to focus on, looking at your assessments and seeing what content skills, or not content skills, what pieces of the content you want students to really walk away from, and looking at some of that metacurricular, uh, those metacurricular pieces. What soft skills do you want? kids to be able to uh, get out of this. Um, we've had uh, some a lot of success with students being able to rise to certain challenges. So they are extremely capable of doing things. But just keep in mind that uh, families and students are going through a lot right now. And when you assign tasks, think about them first before just uh, what do I need to collect? Well, I was just going to add that this is my second time going through some kind of uh, epidemic or pandemic uh, while living in Mexico back in uh, with the swine flu influenza about 11, 12 years ago. Uh, at that point, we, again, we shut down schools uh, and we went to some kind of learning management system, uh, which we weren't entirely comfortable with at the time. Now, I, I what I find has really changed in these in this past decade is that we Obviously, we work in private schools, international schools. We, we have a certain clientele. But 
Um, I think schools are much more prepared. I think teachers are much better prepared and I students are used to uh, doing a lot more work online uh, than they were 10 years ago. So it, it's, it's a, a different reality from that perspective. Yeah, it's pretty amazing what uh, technology has uh, allowed us to do in, in well, Guy, in your experience, in a, in a 10-year difference. It's, it's quite amazing. Um, but going back, like you guys said so much there. I had a whole bunch of questions going around in my head. I'd like to ask maybe two questions. One of them is, Marco, you mentioned the, you know, less is more. Uh, I've been reading, you know, some documents. One out of Edutopia came out yesterday about making that point teachers who have been doing this for, for a while and, and really making that point that less is more. And even our own, own administration is being clear with our teachers that, you know, it's okay to take, take some off the plate. But just with the transition into, into complete distance learning, how, I'd like to just comment on like how you're dealing with the professional time versus personal time. Because I know it's like we have a lot of teachers at our school who have kids. I mean, myself included, I have two young, very young kids and it can be qu- quite kind of distracting, like at home trying to work. And then I know like Marco, you've got a, a very <laughs> pregnant wife and Jose and Guy, you guys got dogs all over the place. So just can you comment on what that professional time versus personal time for both you and your students looks like? Um, in the beginning of this whole e-learning experience, our school really helped us set up for school. And it's not just when are we going to contact our students, but when are you going to be at work? So establishing those boundaries for work was one of the things that happened extremely early on. And having that uh, chunk of time that everybody knew I was working and I knew everyone else was working uh, helped me plan for all of those other things that require require time in my life, in my personal life. So being able to establish that um, and having different options for it, I think very helpful for a lot of families at my school. ISB gave options, either the morning or the evening. And after you chose that and you stuck to it, uh, that just became your routine. And there's also times where I can't participate in things happening at my school. Uh, There might be uh, meetings or uh, discussions happening on Zoom that I can't participate in because I'm on the other side of the world. But other people are like that too, and our school does a great job of posting the minutes and giving opportunity for you to ask questions. Uh, And that's super helpful. For this other whole other family thing, it depends on where you're at in the world. A lot of people aren't like us uh, being expats in another country and having families to deal with. The number of faculty or expat faculty that we have with kids that left the country um, at different times also put like another monkey wrench into the system. We had families that were you know, on vacation when this started, never ended up going back to China and ended up going back to their home of record. We had families with kids who stayed in China and then decided to get out later. And then there's families that stayed out and then couldn't get back in. So um, every family is facing certain particular challenges right now. And just being mindful of those uh, those hurdles that people have to go with um, is another very big thing to think about when you're, you're planning your lessons. 
we're, I mean, our, we're not dealing with different time zones at our school. Um, I think most of our teachers stayed somewhere on the continent. And so our realities are, are a little different. Um, and I don't know how parents or working parents are managing this if they also teach. Uh, I hear stories from my colleagues who have two or three kids uh, while they're also trying to continue with four or five classes. I, I really respect the energy and dedication that they're showing. I have a dog, so um, it's a little easier to take care of. I have a little more time, but still, um, I made sure to communicate, um, well, actually our team at a grade level, made sure to communicate to our students very clearly and often and repeatedly what our schedule is every week, when our office hours are, and for us to communicate our expectations very explicitly to them. And reiterate it. I, I think it's important for us to recognize that we don't expect students to be in front of the screen all the time. And students should not expect us to respond within the minute. But as long as we're staying on top of things, and as Marco mentioned early, earlier, like to respond within a reasonable amount of time because we still want to support their learning, it, it really is important to be able to walk away once in a while, even if it's for a half hour, uh, an hour, uh, finding other projects to do. Otherwise, we too would be going a little stir crazy. Okay, thank you. I, I do have another question, and it's it's a pretty stressful time, I think, for a lot of people. And um, but at the same time, I think uh, going through something almost like this forced kind of change on us. Uh, yes, it's very stressful. But do you predict like any what good things are going to come out of it in terms of like how we might think differently about school? Um, and, and, and any of those kind of outcomes. So thinking of the positive, what do you foresee any like kind of positives out of all this? One positive that I see is it really puts the focus on what do you want your students to be able to walk out of your class with? Like what are you hoping the outcomes of your learnings are going to be? All right. Whether that's a content piece or some kind of soft skill, what it, what is it that you're going to want kids to really take and then just to cut everything else away? So I think it's been kind of refreshing. It's just a time to, to kind of clear out a, like a, a closet that's full of clutter or to trim the fat, whatever you want to call it. I feel like one of the big benefits is you really – you look at your units under a very big microscope and you just kind of say, all right, this is what's going to stay Everything else is not that essential, and let's just focus on doing this one thing really, really well. I, I would totally agree uh, with with you, Marco. Um, I think it does help to shift our perspective, or or to have uh, a clearer perspective uh, to prioritize standards and skills, to really, really consider how clearly we communicate to our students, um, both instructions and just in general. I think it will have will benefit. Many of our students in developing those softer skills that are not as explicitly taught, uh, time management and reading and instructions and problem solving. Um, I think um, those students who need uh, additional support are perhaps not getting it or maybe not enough or in the same ways that uh, they were in the classroom. Um, so I kind of worry about them to a certain extent, but I know that we have learning support uh, specialists who are working with them individually. Um, and I think hopefully it also offers parents 
a perspective on a fresh, clear perspective on what goes on in a classroom. I'm, I see a lot of memes and, and, and jokes on online about teachers or parents who are now homeschooling and realizing uh, the challenges that come along with trying to teach two or three children. And so I hope that they hope they also gain some kind of perspective and appreciation for students who are dealing with, uh, say, 25 of those in the same classroom. Yeah. Uh, just to kind of comment on one thing you said there, Guy, about some of these other skills that kids are walking away with, uh, like collaboration, problem solving, communicating, being flexible. I want to, it makes me wonder why aren't those skills sometimes the main outcomes of some of the teaching that we do, because we see how important they are in situations like this. And once you get older and you actually become an adult and you actually have a real job, you use those skills there every day. And they're not so much thought of or referred to as soft skills, but they're things that you use every day in your life. You have to. Life skills, yeah. Sometimes I'm wondering why those things aren't into uh, like or moved up higher on on a on a hierarchy of learning because that is what's making a lot of this learning happening. If you are a terrible communicator, you're not going to do well in this kind of environment. If you're not uh, very good at uh, managing your time, you're going to struggle. If you uh, can't problem solve. Uh, then maybe your work won't get turned in. So focusing on those skills and talking with them constantly with your students in a regular classroom setting or like this, I think are, are, are only go, you're only going to see good things happen by putting those things in the forefront. I've never seen such like rapid professional development. You know, even when we're implementing our distance learning plan over a period of like one or two weeks, just the amount of, um, I don't know, professional development we saw, you know, 200 teachers go through in, in terms of like blended learning um, expectations. It was pretty amazing. So for us or for the department that I work in, it was amazing to see teachers go through such rapid PD. And um, I don't think that that could ever happen if these conditions weren't kind of forced upon us. And then, as you guys are saying, all the amazing kind of like opportunities for for just student independence, um, opening up like project based learning, those avenues. And I think you guys commented on it earlier. Um, you, you guys were lucky because some of your classes were kind of more independent um, whereas I think maybe teachers or classes that weren't, they may struggle these first few weeks. But as that kind of independence grows, I think they'll they'll see it come to life. So, yeah, force change. But I think everyone's learning so much. So I think uh, what's really important as well is to support uh, our peers, our other other teachers and to seek support when we need it as well. We may sometimes feel as though we're, we're in this alone because we're isolated, but I know that in our English language arts department and also at, at the grade team level, we've really, really uh, made it a priority to communicate with each other when we need uh, help or to help others. This is what I've done in my classroom or with my students, um, and this has been really positive, or I need help in trying to figure this out. And so I think having that very supportive community helps break the isolation as well. Well, I guess I think, I don't know, guys, I think we can probably wrap it up. 
we've talked a lot of points here, but if there's anything that you'd like to, to finish up with or, or share that we haven't covered, that would be great. If I, I mean, we've covered a lot, but with this whole uh, trying to teach online situation that we're all being faced or all faced with, uh, it's just important to, to kind of echo Guy, lean on the other educators around you, the administrators around you. We're all in this together. Uh, you're, you don't have to go through it alone. So speak up and ask questions. Don't be afraid to do it wrong. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. It's going to get dirty, uh, but, you know, roll with the punches. Uh, tomorrow's a new day. You can always try it again. And we've all had those moments when we're teaching where it just doesn't go as planned. It's just like that. So just pick yourself up from your bootstraps or whatever you want to say and uh, give it another go tomorrow. Well said, Marco. Thank you. Guy, any closing remarks? And I think it's important as well, Mike. Uh, Marco, I just wanted to add to that, uh, that we don't have to do everything. Like, I, I really think, and, and before, that I think it's important for us to streamline a little um, and to do what's really what we're comfortable with. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Guy. In, in fact, I was, it dawned on me how much of a jump we've done since the Socratic circle to like distance online learning and how educators and parents are now more than ever redefining what learning is what is of value, what is a tool. And um, these are amazing times, not necessarily easy times, very complex ones, but it's a great opportunity to redefine our contribution to society, to education, and to just humankind. Thank you so much for taking the time to have this discussion with us. Great. Thank you very much. I think it's important. Good luck, Marco. Good luck. All right. So is that, the, is that a wrap? So there you have it. What a great conversation we had with Guy and Marco. I think these educators, like so many out there, are really doing their best to keep learning happening, uh, doing everything they can to, to support students in this kind of crazy time. I really like some of the positives that, that Marco and Guy mentioned that, you know, that they're seeing more opportunities for, for independence, for uh, ways to be creative. And, and so for me, I like, I like focusing on the positives and, and how education might shift and change a little bit as we, we, we grow through this special time. I think that this situation is so particular. And I must say, I, I kind of love the fact that it has pushed everybody out of their element. Like to me, this is education in a nutshell. This is what education, what we shouldn't lose about education. The fact that it's challenging, that it's new, that it shakes your carpet, that it gets you off balance, and that it makes us rally as a community and try to find ways together to deal with it. So uh, challenging times, yes. A unique, a unique opportunity also. Yeah, and I think I'm just going to jump in there. And, I, and, I, and it's, I can't help but think, too, of like even when we first started this Beyond Our Bell podcast, I mean, the name itself is we're always intrigued by, um, you know, learning happening literally outside of the confines of a classroom. And, and to think that learning, you know, stops because we can't be physically in a school, it's, it's just 
uh, it's just not true. The bell is gone. Yeah, we, we just, we're not going to have that bell in the background. I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to us, guys. Like we, like Corey mentioned at the beginning of our episode, we are preparing to try to cover as much of our community as possible. So that will involve administrators uh, and some teachers or some more teachers, some parent teachers, some parents, maybe some students. So if you want to collaborate uh, or want to jump into this wagon with us, please make sure to write to us at beyondourbell.com. Right. Thanks for listening. Thank you, everyone.